Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, March 20th, 2020. Stay home, reads the headline in the Sun-Times. Yes, yes, indeed. We're in the midst of this uh, horrific coronavirus plague. I guess that's what we call it. Uh, anyway, so who else would I bring in? Well, you know, I'm going to allow my distinguished bonus guest to introduce herself. I am not going to introduce our bonus guest. Bonus guest, introduce yourself. I feel like I'm on a 60s dating game. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor this number two. <laughs> Come on down. I mean, I'm door number three. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay, so this, uh, for the people who don't recognize my voice, this is Samita Mustafa, host of Hand of the Mic, former congressional candidate and buddy of uh, Dennis and Ben. How about that? Yeah, great. Big time buddy of uh, this Ben and Dennis. And she's also <laughs> in another phase. Hey, D, you notice how we flip that? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. Uh, and in another existence, she was a uh, a comedian, a stand-up comedian, correct? Yes, but comedy is dead, as we've discussed before. Uh, I disagree with that, but let's let's not discuss that at this moment. Um, at the moment, we're in the midst of this uh, coronavirus. I called it a plague just now, so I'm going to stick with that. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so much to talk with you about, Samina, on so many different levels. Uh, how this plays in, I'm just going to rattle them off the different levels, uh, how this plays into uh, our need for uh, Medicare for All. You and I have talked about that on this show before. Uh, mm-hmm. How this plays into the themes that the Democratic Party is wrestling with as it tries to figure out what exactly its message is and how we're uh, going to try to defeat Donald Trump. And then, of course, in general, how we as a civilization are responding to this crisis. Um, so why don't, I, why don't I start get your thoughts with, first of all, uh, how we as a country, uh, our government, our president uh, on the national level has responded to this crisis? Yeah, so Trump's initial instincts on everything are make it about him. And is that a train going by? That is the train. <laughs> this is a new day and a God. You can you can hear it that well. I can hear it. Uh, we have a great is, line here. This is a great line. This is uh, so okay. So, but that's great. That's you know the trains are running. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the trains are running, and the joke here in the Ben Jarofsky show is, hey, that's Rom driving that train. Uh, right. That reason that's a joke is because he wrote an essay about 
how the trains run on time in Chicago under his watch. And people yeah. forgot that, it's, but I haven't forgotten it. Go ahead. We never yeah, said it was a good grateful, joke. There's a Grateful Dead song in there somewhere. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, I, so Trump makes it about him. And one thing that really caught my eye in the last week or so was a reporter at Politico, Dan Diamond, who covers health care. And he was interviewed by Terry Gross and uh, really uh, posted something after the interview and said, basically, uh, Alex Azar um, was trying to get Trump's attention on uh, coronavirus. And it was pretty clear he didn't want to take it seriously, mostly because he worried about how it would affect his reelection chances. And so that, again, his narcissism and, you know, desperate desire to stay in the news cycle and also stay in office um, drove a lot of this. So he was calling it a hoax. Um, I think it was the Washington Post that put together a really great uh, cut of um, within a week, all these Fox News sycophants who were saying one, you know, one day and like a week later, their 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 attitudes on coronavirus changed completely, much like uh, how Trump did. You know, um, the other thing that Trump and again, I have to remember, like, there's Trump and then there's what the president should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what the president should be doing is getting ahead of this being someone who's comforting people and providing resources and marshalling a, a team, right? Um, but all of the things that Trump did, putting Pence in front, which I think people immediately reacted to because they remembered Pence's role in the HIV outbreak when he was the governor, and even Jerome Adams, who is now the Attorney General, was, was in charge of that. So he didn't put uh, people who actually had public health or healthcare experience out front. When they finally did show up, like Anthony Fauci and, um, you know, uh, Dr. Adams, and um, you've got uh, folks at the CDC, like um, I believe it's Deborah, Deborah Burke, um, and those folks showed up. So they all have credentials, so that's good. Um, Anthony Fauci is well known. Like I, I knew his name from decades ago working on the HIV AIDS um, crisis. So yeah, they know what they're talking about, but they're, they've got some, uh, how should I put this? Um, especially in the case of Anthony Fauci, he kind of likes the camera too, and he's very good at the press. So um, Trump, you know, marginalized him as soon as he started getting back <laughs> and messaging yeah. this. I think this is like, it's like textbook. And as soon as it became more important, he pushed Pence aside. Yeah. So again, it's always about, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening, it always has to be the Donald Trump show. Um, and it's not about the resources, it's not about answering questions, it's not about comforting people or, you know, taking this seriously. And then the last huge mistake, which is, it's not a mistake on Trump's part, like in his mind or his basis, uh, it's racializing it, right? It's mm. making it the Chinese virus. Yeah. Which, you know, it's obviously a racist, it's a dog whistle. We all know it. We can all see it. But it, what it does is also communicates maybe to some people like, oh, I don't see anyone around me <laughs> who is this background. We have, you know, segregation throughout our country. People are, are literally separated and don't see each other. Um, so you had people like there was a really good story that was published in the New York Times, I think, in the last 24 hours 
where um, a reporter spoke to a woman in Louisiana. And all these people, you know, it's very much a Trump country. And they're all like, oh, this is a hoax. Nobody has this. I can't even, I don't even know anybody who has this. And this woman who is, you know, frankly, her husband's a registered Republican, you know, they're surrounded by Trump supporters, says, but, you know, actually, I, my husband has it. And yeah. he's still mm-hmm. in the hospital. So, like, all of those things put more people at risk, right? Because it, it, it creates a, a mistrust of, of medical and scientific information. And um, it, it, it actually delays the good information getting there, um, which it's hard to then compete with the misinformation. Mm-hmm. And then it delays resources um, and the, the steps that need to be taken. Uh, you know, everyone keeps pointing out that South Korea had their first case the same day the United States did. And you, I, I think most people know that South Korea has been able to ramp up their response or testing 10,000 tests a day as everyone keeps hearing drive through testing they've been able to uh, come up and everyone's <laughs> again if this goes back to the racism it's like oh but they're like China like no they're not like China <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, again and and again I also will admit like we also have to be careful in terms of like it, you know um Unfortunately, we have a spread of misinformation in autocratic uh, governments and autocratic leaders in governments that aren't autocratic by their nature. Like the U.S. is a democracy in theory until you have someone like Donald Trump who is literally pruning people out of the government who disagree with him. Yeah. And he'll sideline them. So it's like it's this is like. This it, it this really could not have happened with a worse um, executive in the White House. And I want I want to do uh, get your thoughts on uh, a, this distinction. I'm, I've been thinking about uh, in Trump's response, uh, Samina. It seemed like there's two issues that he's has to address as the president of the United States. One is a medical issue, a medical crisis, uh, the well-being of people who get the disease and trying to contain the spread. And the other is the economic fallout of shutting down the economy because of a quarantine. It seems he has absolutely no interest in the medical aspect of it, uh, but is kind of latching on to the economic aspect on the because he figured out, hey, I can get reelected by uh, writing checks to people. Right. That's my shorthand of it. What's your What's your view? I, I think that that's uh, a. I'd say like yeah, that's the simplest because he doesn't really understand the science, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he's there's probably. I think he refuses to admit how close the actual medical condition, the disease has come to his world. I mean, we've already heard the stories of people at Mar-a-Lago where he spends a lot of time testing positive for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also hard for someone like him to show any kind of physical weakness, yeah. right? Um, it's not unlike what you're seeing in India with Modi and, and kind of other people like this. They, they, they have to like convey this, like we're physically strong. Um, and the economic piece is one that I, I, I was trying to figure out like what, who was, who was the person who got him to take this seriously? 
Um, mm. <laughs> like who, I mean, a lot of people are saying Dr. Burks or, you know, yeah. some of these folks um, who are actually our medical folks. Um, but the tricky thing is part of the problem with that, that sort of summary is it gives Trump credit for outflanking the Democrats on some of these economic issues. Yeah. He's outflanking them in terms of the media narrative. But you just have to do a little bit of digging and realize it's not as good as he says it is because he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. And he always wants to make everything he does seem amazing and wonderful. Yeah. Um, but like the actual policies are always a little bit fall short. Like he, he gets the headline, but then when people do a fact check, like there was something where he said, oh, this drug is available. It can treat coronavirus. And then like an hour later, finally reported <laughs> yeah. able to check that the FDA is like, no, no, it's not true. So it's like, even with this, some of these economic policies, um, he's been, I mean, I have to say, like, he knows how to play the media. He's been able to kind of co-op those talking, talking points. But again, if you dig, which not enough people have time to do or, or can do to find out, oh, he's not really doing it. But the thing that'll be the ultimate game changer is if those checks arrive <laughs> yeah. before the November election, and then that'll be the last memory people have of Trump. Uh, so, and and again, it's assuming everything else goes great. All right, and um, I'm I'm now going to attempt to answer a question that uh, you posed a little while ago, and that is, uh, who got him to change his tune? the little that he has changed and to me i just assume it, like any it's it was a pollster in the white house i somebody said to him boss you're gonna lose and so even now when, when you <laughs> i like trump's fashion on this notion of sending out checks i, I could just see his mind at work Samina, oh, I just pay people. Yeah. God, this is easy. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just so cynical. It's the Willie Wilson model of electioneering. Yes, it is. It's the Willie on a grand scale. And give Willie credit. He was just paying it out of his own pocket. Donald Trump yeah. is uh, someone else is paying it now. But, and why does he keep continually calling it the Chinese virus? Because that's his way. As you point out, it's a, it's a dog whistle. It's, it's beyond that. We, we talked about this earlier before you came on the, we, we started the interview, the, the photograph of him literally scratching out coronavirus or whatever it was in his script and writing Chinese. So it was Chinese virus in his, uh, in his own, his, you could see it's his, his writing. And I just think it's his way of letting people know, his base know that he's still Trump that yeah. he may be playing this game of being concerned or acting presidential, but he's going to do it on his terms and they love it. They love the fact that, uh, you know, he's like a racist and yay, that's our guy. And he's giving me a check. So I right. th from his, I, that's what I think. I think this is just some pollster say, hey, boss, you're going to lose this thing if you don't, I don't know act presidential yeah. yeah you're probably right i i just think like i am just i would like that would have been a fascinating <laughs> conversation to witness um but the the chinese like 
the interesting thing about this sort of like racializing it and making it about you know the Chinese like there's a couple of different you know there's historical precedent about that but it's also like you know Trump always needs you know is always beating up on somebody the other but there's a long history of the U.S. having a foil you know it used to be the Soviet Union then it became Islamic terrorism. Um, now it's the Chinese virus, and like they're they're like the, the like so it's not unique to Trump, but Trump is following that pattern. Yeah, um, and it's 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 it it creates um, you know it obviously puts individuals at risk though because anyone who um, sort of you know people can't uh, distinguish they're like oh. You know, there's been reporters actually. A reporter who was reporting, I think, in LA, was saying that how she was doing about to do a live shot, and somebody said, you know, used an expletive and then said, you know, something, something Chinese, like attacking her as she was about to go on the air. So it's like it is definitely having a real world impact, but it's also, like you said, giving um, his base what they want. And um, but I also think it's just like again, it's it's so much of who he is. He he has these earworms, right? Mm. <laughs> he he can't stop. He repeats himself, but it works. Yeah. And he and the problem is that someone actually tweeted this. I think a reporter at CNN, like, oh, and I I'm like I was like irritated because I'm like, how is this not occurring to you? He's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't broadcast these press conferences live. Maybe we should just like tape them and then share the relevant information and i'm like why is this it is now march of 2020 this should have been the case you know since june of 2015 i mean this is a guy who routinely lies in every in every press opportunity this should have been the case um you know everything should be fact checked and if there's anything broadcast it should be like this is not true and so He's given, uh, he's taken his his role. He's taken the White House. He's like used that that bully pulpit, and it's um, the the press isn't really countering. And they're like, oh, we it's our president. We have to report it. But he's reporting. He's you know he's lying. Yeah. So um, it, it's 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 so predictable, but it makes me think like you know every time he's he's faced a crisis, he's gone back to this. In the 2018 cycle, he went to the caravan. It was caravan, caravan, caravan. Now it's now it's this. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, we're going to have plenty of opportunity to critique Donald Trump's response uh, because, unfortunately, this virus is not going anywhere. And uh, we'll... We'll be talking about it for a long time. Let's now switch a little bit and talk about the Democratic response. You put something in my head before we did this show uh, that I hadn't even thought of. And I'm going to, you're the one to put it in my mind. And I've been talking about it ever since. And that is uh, Joe Biden has vanished. The, the head of the Democratic Party right now has, uh, since Tuesday's election, has vanished. Talk about this. Yeah, what I was really referring to was that what my suggestion or my instinct was is that every day 
Joe Biden and or the the congressional Democrats should be doing a daily briefing on this issue to to uh, to to sort of counter the misinformation and not just Pelosi, not just Schumer, do essentially the same thing that Trump is doing, having experts, having people like to, to talk about this stuff. Because again, it is, um, it, it's a way to um, control the narrative and to correct it. That's what Trump does so well. He controls the narrative and that's why he's able to get away with lying about everything. But just doing things like that, I've seen sort of, less formal um, analogs to this. I saw there was a call that the Working Families Party, which endorsed Warren um, before she dropped out, and now has endorsed Sanders, but they did a call, I think it was maybe last night, I've lost track, um, with Pramila Jaipal, who is the author of the Medicare for All bill in the House, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and a couple of other progressive groups. And so they did a call talking about this and their response. Um, similarly, I know uh, Bernie Sanders has done, I think he's going to be doing another one tonight. So, like, there are things that are being done by sort of, you know, different grassroots groups or um, the Sanders campaign. But this really should be coming from, uh, you know, the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden, and it should be coming from the Schumer and Pelosi. Um, it's funny because, you know, when they have done uh, responses, they always haven't been great at it. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to bring in someone like Katie Porter, um, you know, who has been incredibly good at messaging and responding. I mean, I think she, you know, she got Dr. Redfield, <laughs> she put him on the spot in a hearing, I think it was last week, um, on making sure testing was widely available. So there's there's ways to do this and, and um, again, give opportunities for leadership for other members of the caucus, but that's just not how the democratic leadership thinks they just they don't think they're they're more they're being more um uh sort of reactionary like they should be all over and and being really like i think it's happening in in dribs and drabs it's just not consistent like you know trump is trying to take care of you know take away and and he's fighting um the aca right now this is an opportunity for medicare for all but the reason why pelosi and schumer won't talk about medicare for all is because they themselves are fighting it yep Right. Yep. This is the perfect opportunity to, to like make a case for universal health care and not have health care tied to employment. This is that moment. <laughs> oh, Samina, my beloved Democratic Party. I, I, I I've, I've been making the joke this week that uh, and I speak for myself, but I think I speak for I'm all lefties because uh, I see this tendency. I'm incapable of criticizing Trump without almost the next breath criticizing Democrats. And it's, I, and I recognize this trait because whenever I talk to other lefties, and I talk to them all the time, not just on the show, but just all the time, they do the same thing. And you know what I mean? It's just the Democratic Party has diluted its message so much over the last few years following the model that Clinton created back in, what, 1992? Uh, And it's just their instinct is so wimpy. You know what I mean? They pull back from a fight. They don't articulate anything. They, 
just like I could just hear him now saying, well, if if we followed Samina's advice and it would look like we were, you know, not one nation behind one president. I'm like, when have the Republicans ever rallied at a time of need behind a Democratic president? When? I, I can't think of a moment. They've always attacked. And in this particular case, I think the Democrats would be doing a service. It wouldn't just be attacking for the sake of attacking. And that's my point is, and we've, and we've talked about before I got on the call is not to make it a, uh, a presser to attack Trump, but just to say, you know, you heard what the president said and the, the, you know, representatives of the CDC, you, you've heard there, but here's, here's some information. Here's how we would like to address it. Here's our proposal. And Oh, by the way, here's, um, you know, something that you should know, you know, and have something be of value. It's, it's, uh, there's a way to make it not a not divisive or an attack, just to be additive. Um, if that's their fear, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but they're just not doing it consistently. And um, and I, I, you know what? I think people, you know, I I do think that Nancy Pelosi obviously knows how to count votes. She knows how to you know have discipline in her caucus, but she's not always the best spokesperson right um and so like that's to me a perfect opportunity to elevate somebody else katie porter is masterful you know aoc masterful they are good at this and we they should be out front they're better at responding to the press nancy pelosi can be good at counting votes and and whipping her caucus and doing all these things and and playing um you know going toe-to-toe with trump Again, everybody has different skills. Everybody brings different skills to the to the table. For people who are good at either social media, at at you know doing doing uh, uh, doing uh, news media, like let those people shine. Put them out front. Ramila Jayapal is excellent at this, and she's been um, she's the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, and she's um, like I said, the the House author of the Medicare for All bill. I mean, this is thinking more broadly and more strategically. I mean, like, or, you know, put Kamala Harris out there, whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, get people out front and have it be, you know, instead you've got Katie Porter saying, why are we fighting our own, like, why am I fighting my own party on having an equitable package? Um, and, but that's, but that's what happened. Yeah. Um, it's like how we, you know, the whole issue with Sanders, versus Trump, how the Democratic Party responded to Sanders is they don't actually believe in anything that Sanders or they would fight him on his agenda. Okay. That's why they're fighting him this, to this point. Um, Sanders didn't run a per, hasn't run a perfect campaign. He's not a perfect candidate. I'm not going to dispute that. Um, but, you know, it, it, there is, I think, an appreciation that the policy positions that the progressives, I'm not even going to pick uh, to single out Sanders because I know Warren has had some excellent proposals and a lot of these proposals predate both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that the progressives, like people are starting to, to <laughs> they're, they're appreciating socialism like they never have before. <laughs> um, but, you know, and so to have Trump say, yes, we're going to send out checks, we're delaying, uh, you know, a tax day, all of these things. You know, this is an opportunity for 
to democratic leadership to get things for the American people and messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not the only one saying this. Like the, even the the Pod Save guys, one of their um, their people wrote a, a blog piece on their on their site, basically saying like, "You, we have some leverage here. Like we can actually push for things that will." Uh, help everyone, but we just have to like make it happen and message it. Yeah. The house. What's the point of having a majority in the house if we don't use it? You are so preaching to the choir, and I'll, and let me just remind you uh, of where we were about three weeks ago. I remember maybe I, I've lost track of time uh, before the crisis really hit home. Right. I remember writing a column and having a lot of discussion on the show about the narrative that was put out by the centrist uh, strategists in the Democratic Party to undercut Bernie's campaign. And the the narrative being put out was that not only would Bernie Sanders be a disaster uh, for the effort to defeat Donald Trump, but it would be a disaster for the entire Democratic ticket from top to bottom. In other words, yeah. uh, all no, I know they would yeah. lose the house, and and I just said, folks, if you take a look at the biggest debacle for liberal Democrats uh, in the last fifty years, nineteen seventy two, with George McGovern, it didn't even happen then. The Democrats, in the face of that Nixon landslide, uh, took extra seats in the Senate and held the House. So there's no precedent to predict that. Uh, an unpopular president at the top of the ticket means destruction for all the uh, candidates running below that person. And yet they were putting that narrative out there. So now fast forward to what you just suggested, putting AOC out front as the public face on the counterattack to try. I welcome her. Because she's, because she's, you know, somebody that's controversial. Katie Porter is a perfect, perfect like compromise <laughs> i mean someone else someone who's good at this yeah i i would so by the way welcome uh ocasio cortez i think she'd be outstanding at this personally i don't yeah. share the fear that centrists have about the base of the democratic party if you were the democratic voice uh, right. what are some other proposals you've articulating yeah so again the, the daily briefing mm-hmm. <laughs> to counter his noise Putting people out front who are better at uh, doing on-camera quick responses, and frankly, you know, to show that the caucus is is large and diverse. Uh, so that that would be a thing. But in terms of the actual talking points, and again, I I know that Schumer and Pelosi won't go for this, but I would have said this is why we need new leadership in the White House. Uh, the the president is taking away uh, the Affordable Care Act. We need universal health care. We need Medicare for all. Um, I would talk about things like wages and child care. We'd talk about paid, uh, paid sick leave. I would be talking also about um, defending and protecting um, our uh, elections, making sure that people could vote by mail, um, universal vote by mail, that, that's a huge issue. I think that was a problem that happened here in Illinois, the fact that we uh, extended the vote by mail application for a few hours. It should have been at a minimum extended to Tuesday. And uh, I would have, you know, 
suggested. I would have recommended that we push it out, but I know it's a state decision. Um, but again, going back to the healthcare piece, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is actually funded through Medicare, things like um, medical education. We've been trying to work on the physician shortage and uh, residency programs are funded by Medicare. We need to to increase that funding and um, expand those uh uh, those residency seats, but also like how, you know, how does it, how do we bring in people from other countries who are, have medical education? Like my mother was someone who was educated outside of the United States, but she came here at a time when the, the process was, was not easy, but it was not, um, as, as like, they weren't trying to create as many, uh, hurdles. And, um, there are, there are physicians that are doing everything but seeing patients because they're just trying to make a living and they, they might be driving an Uber. You know, we could use them right now yeah. <laughs> um, in this crisis. Um, they're talking about uh, bringing in retired uh, nurses and physicians to help with this crisis. This is, this is really uh, illustrating that a for-profit system is literally killing us um we i mean we have oh it's almost 90 million people that are uninsured or underinsured that's roughly a third of the country you know over a quarter to a third of the country and every single public health care official especially the ones that are that are experienced with pandemics are saying this is the scariest thing they've ever seen in their careers so this is this this should change our approach to our healthcare system our policies around tying healthcare to employment and our entire essentially our safety network and uh you know on the local level i mean i'm thinking immediately of things like rent control how we're dealing with, you know, there was that whole um, Bring Chicago Home campaign that Lori Lightfoot originally said she would support, and that was about using a real estate transfer tax to fund housing. Mm-hmm. And now we're just, you know, how would you shelter in place without shelter? Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and even like, again, down to the extremely local level, for 30 years, the South Side didn't have uh, an emergency room. There wasn't a level one trauma center. No, it, listen, uh, I mean, it's probably a, a, a conversation for another time, but it was just two, three months ago that on a local level, uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, the powers that be, the editorial boards of all both papers were fighting the teachers union on the issue of more nurses in the schools. We didn't yeah. have enough money for nurses in the schools, And now the Republican president is getting ready to write checks to people. So right. uh, there is an insanity in the way re- Democrats allow Republicans to put them in a trick box, get them to uh, dilute their message uh, attack the left flank of the, the Democratic Party in, in order to avoid being called socialists and then push come to shove that the Republicans just take 
Bernie's ideas, Andrew Yang's ideas, watered down, if you will, but whatever, the basic, without fear of being called socialists and just use them against Democrats. It's very frustrating to put it mildly. Um, yeah. And all right, before we close down this interview for today, we have not had an opportunity to talk about some of the events that have gone on since our last conversation. Uh, I'm thinking Joe Biden defeating Bernie or being ahead of Bernie has not officially got the nomination. But Mike Bloomberg's campaign has come and gone. I just saw a headline, $900 million they estimate he spent. Uh, $900 million, that could have helped fight the the coronavirus epidemic. $900 million, let's just try to put Mike Bloomberg into perspective a little bit, Samina. Yeah, and he's pledged, I'd say, I think he, I saw a pledge from him to, to help with the coronavirus of $40 million. But going back to his campaign, he was saying that if he was not the nominee, he would essentially take his operation and fund it, mm -hmm. hand it over to the eventual nominee and fund it yeah. through November. But since then, he's laid off all of his staff and he's pledged um, $18 million to, I believe, the DNC. And so... <laughs> Everything about him being this sort of potential savior for the Democrats, it has just, it's complete hogwash. Yeah. I mean, he's, the guy is, he's so problematic. I mean, there were so many things about him as a mayor and as a public figure that it were so bad, but he just isn't even someone who, like, can't even keep his word, like, from one month to the next. Yeah. So, um it's it's just another example of the Democrats failing to stand for anything consistently. Like your one thing I've I've never understood is the Republicans never feel the need to be bipartisan. Yep. They never think about it. They 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 don't run on it. Nobody ever. They never get. They never seem to get penalized for um for their stances and um. And even when they're in power, the Democrats are always trying to make something bipartisan. Yeah. And the Republicans take advantage of them every time. All they do is strip every single proposal the Democrats want and, you know, and sort of cave. Um, I call it toxic bipartisanship. The Democrats are committed to toxic bipartisanship because it kills. We got people dying without health care. We've got endless wars. We've got how many trillions of dollars funding Iraq, Afghanistan, you name it. Yeah. But that's that's the, the one thing that's consistent about the Democrats is toxic bipartisanship. And it, it's it, you have to give something to people to vote for. That was why we didn't win in 2016. <laughs> we didn't have something we were voting for. We didn't it wasn't enough just to vote against Donald Trump. Yeah, well, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, that's the the point is give people something. Uh, you know, get be clear on what your affirmative values and policies are, and that's you know this is a moment to do that. Mm -hmm. This is a moment to message what does the Democratic Party, what does the Democratic platform stand for, and uh, that's it. 
All right, that uh, that is it. Samina Mustafa, thank you so much. Uh, one more time before we head off, tell folks the name of your podcast, where they can find it, and all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, it's Hand to the Mic. Uh, we're on social media at, at Facebook and Instagram at, at Hand to the Mic on Twitter, Hand to the Mic. And we've got a YouTube channel now. Oh. Uh, we actually had just started doing video interviews, and so you can find us on YouTube at Hand to the Mic. And we we actually just interviewed a couple of folks who are running for Congress and state reps that ran for the March 17th primary. And um, our next episode is coming out. We're actually talking about uh, abortion funds. I spoke to the head of the Yellowhammer Fund in Alabama because that's actually another issue is with this the shutdown of, of really most facilities and all these healthcare workers being you know redirected. Abortion access is actually at jeopardy as well. So um, it's something that uh, my, the episode is going to drop next week. Very good. Hand her the mics, the name of the show. Samina Mustafa, thank you so much. And that'll do it. Another bonus show. Uh, take care, everybody.